Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm David Breer, CEO here at 11FS. In this week's show, we are jumping into the Fintech Insider time capsule and looking back at episodes we initially recorded back in September 2021, where we discussed the future of fintech in Australia. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen Australian banks come together for the ScamSafe Accord. We've heard about Wave & Gravy teaming up to bring pay-by-bank solutions to Australian merchants. Not to mention earlier this year, we've seen the overhauls to online gambling in the region, as well as Revolut's expansion into the APAC area. It's safe to say that fintech is more important in Australia now than it ever was. So how right were we back in 2021? Has the industry moved in a way that we expected? Let's find out. All right, folks, let's get started. As always, I'm not alone, but I'm joined by a panel of super duper awesome guests, uh, this time from down under. I promise you there's not going to be bad accents on this one, at least uh, only my uh, Norwich accent. Uh, let's get started. Making her Fintech Insider debut, we have Simone Joyce, who is the CEO and co-founder of Paperplane and chair of the Fintech Australia. How are you doing today, Simone? I'm very well, David. Thank you for having me along. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about Paper Plane as well? And uh, and what does the chair of Fintech Australia do? <laughs> well, um, two hats. I'll deal with the Paper Plane hat first. Um, so Paper Plane is a, we're a payments overlay system and we work as a two-sided platform. We allow businesses to create living digital payment agreements for their customers and then allow those customers to dynamically self-manage their payment agreements. So it solves a problem for both the business and their customers. Our clients are predominantly banks who plug their payment rails into our platform to allow their SME customers and their consumer customers to access and use the system either via a white label agreement or directly within their bank accounts. So we're an ecosystem overlay catering for all stakeholders in the payments journey. So that's one hat. The other hat is Fintech Australia. We're a, um, the peak member body for fintechs in Australia um, and we're really working to make sure that we create the very best possible environment for fintechs to thrive and grow. Um, so that as chair, I get to um, get to work alongside our amazing CEO um, and the team at Fintech Australia and, and, and help to achieve our missions for all our members. Very cool. Uh, very, very relevant to today as well. It's, uh, it's good to uh, Good to see uh, Paper Plane doing so well. And uh, yeah, look forward to learning more and more about the ecosystem as we get through. Uh, also making his Fintech Insider debut, we're joined by Matt Baxby, who is the country CEO of a tiny little fintech nobody's ever heard of, Revolut. Uh, welcome to the show, Matt. How you doing? Yeah, it's fantastic to be here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your role in Revolut, because um, you guys are on a, a, a sort of a, a road to world domination in all, many different geographies, but the Australian market looks like a really interesting one. How, how have you guys found uh, market entry? Yeah, it's been uh, it's it's been really interesting. So I joined Revolut in February 2020, uh, and, and I'm really proud of the fact Australia was uh, Revolut's first expansion market outside Europe. But you know. Um, the marching orders our founders gave me when I came down was uh, was to conquer our market here, and I translated that into a few priorities: build the best possible team we could, get the licenses we need, uh, and take what is a pretty amazing product catalog in UK and Europe, and work out 
uh, you know, what, what's going to work for the for the local Australian market. So localize that and then begin to scale. Uh, but it, it is we we you know I, I think it's, the Australian opportunity is a fantastic one, and uh, yeah, it's been a, an amazing eighteen month ride so far. Very good. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, when we get into it as well. But thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, and finally, making a very welcome return to FinTech Insider, we're joined by Dexter Cousins, founder of Tier One People and host of FinTech Chatter podcast. Dexter, how are you doing? So good to be back, David. Yeah, it's great to have you on. It's been too long. I, I mean, I, I see you on Twitter and LinkedIn all the time, but I don't hear your voice enough. Uh, maybe that's why I should be listening to the podcast even more then, just to catch up on your tone. So. Well, look, that's a really good point because um, you're actually my son's favorite podcast guest ever because of your, um, as he put it, soothing voice. Is so he, how he, great is that? Is there a is there a he uses it to sleep at night vibe coming up? Like, yeah, uh, he does, I, I can take I can take that yeah. punishment, you know, like if uh, if that's the case. But uh, well, it's, well, it's good good to hear. And uh, and uh, baby cousins, if you are watching or listening to this, then uh, you know it's good for you to tune in anyway. All right, we better get on with this anyway. Uh, thank you for everybody being on board. Maybe if we start a little bit by looking at the Australian market as a whole, because uh, you know it's it's a pretty big geography, and actually all of the geographies are pretty well spread out in terms of the the different impacts. But Matt, maybe if you start us off with this one, if you could describe the Australian fintech market in a few words, what would the words that you'd be? Well, it's, it's a challenge to put them into a few words, but I, I think it's an it's an amazing market, a growing market with so much potential. Um, and I, I'd almost describe it as the perfect storm that that real confluence of you know consumers hungry for change, a really supportive ecosystem, uh, and yeah, a thriving fintech scene uh, in the local market. I, I think it's one of the best. Yeah. So, what do you what do you think? Uh, if you could describe the the fintech scene in uh, uh, in Australia in a few words, what would they be? In a uh, in a few words, I would say bubbly, um, expanding, and maturing. I would also say that we've started using um, a lot now instead of market or space, we've started using the word industry um, because we really have grown significantly, particularly over the last twenty four months. Um, well. COVID obviously triggered a lot of growth, but we've seen companies going through their full life cycle now in Australia from, um, you know, a really nice, solid, wide base of new entrants um, growing up through that early growth phase into scale up. And we're starting to see some really exciting um, global exits and, um, you know, some of those higher investment rounds that we normally hear about from markets like the UK and the US. We're starting to see some of that happening in Australia, and there's a lot of growth levers, a lot of um, tailwinds that are really going to drive the industry forward over the next couple of years too. Yeah, I agree. Well, we'll definitely come back to some of that in uh, in a second. But Dexter, what what do you think? Uh, what what words would you use? Fulfilling its potential. I think it's um, you know, I've been I've been on the journey since 2016, and it was a, a fan of fintech insider from early days, and would listen with envy as to what was happening in the UK, but knew that it was possible here in Australia. And it's it's fantastic to see that, it, you know, I would say we're probably now where the UK was in 2019. It really has come along very, very quickly. And as Simone said, you know, we've gone from this kind of group and community and having award ceremonies where we were patting each other on the back for having a, a try to now it's significant businesses like Afterpay, Air Wallets, Zip, who are really having an impact and creating these categories that now are creating industries in themselves. 
Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Matt, when you talk about that that sort of confluence of forces, those those different things. I mean, what do you think is is sort of led to that? I mean, I, definitely, I, I know from. Um, from a UK perspective, we've seen it's not just one thing, right? As you say, it's six or seven things that have to come together to to create a a scene, as it were. Uh, inverted commas, never good on a podcast, but everybody imagined that I did inverted commas then. Uh, but it create a scene that actually creates really good sound grounds for for these things. So, what what were the pieces that came together? Do you think in Australia? Yeah, I, I think um, it's demand side and it's supply side. So I think from on the demand side amongst consumers, I, I think in a lot of ways, a spotlight was shone on incumbent banks and you know the, the way they went about you know offering services to their customers. And you know the, the reality is consumers don't measure um, their financial services provider by others in the industry. It's 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 a much wider aperture than that. Um, they they will look to the experience that offered by technology companies, uh, and so a lot of ways I think I think there was this sort of catalyst of being much more open to to alternatives, and at the same time on the supply side, I think you know as, as both Dexter and Simon mentioned, this this sort of thriving ecosystem of of pretty amazing businesses being built locally and being taken to the to the global stage, uh, some great talent. Uh, being available in the local market, and yeah, you know, our, our policymakers and regulators um, probably appreciating and maybe taking some of the cues from what they've seen in the UK that you know real benefits can be driven both to consumers in terms of offering more choice, but also the economic benefits of of you know um, you know get, pro- promulgating a new industry like we've seen mm. uh, with fintech. So I, I think it, yeah, as I said, it's the confluence of those. Um, uh, things, but it, it really does need both the demand side, that changing consumer at the same side as all of the conditions for the supply side, the, the fintechs being there to offer those services in a different way, being made available as well. It's it's very true. Uh, if you uh, you could easily have brilliant products in the market, but if the customers didn't care, then uh, then the world wouldn't change. But it, but I, th- I think there's something in that, Dexter, as well, isn't there, on the the what Matt was saying there about the the sort of changing force from a regulatory perspective, you know, actually, you know, the the market post two thousand and eight very much sort of went to protect and and control, but actually we've seen over the last I'd say you know five to seven years a real changing on uh, the regulatory approach to create competition within the marketplace. And ultimately, it's interesting when you stand back from all of these things and look at what the power that the regulators or central bodies really have, you know, they are moving the chess pieces around the board and and creating that ecosystem that you play with. So how, how much do you think of this is, is a little bit of a, a thawing of the regulatory approach within the Australian market that's creating a, a competitive landscape? Um, I, I definitely think that's got something to do with it. I remember 2018 and I was at an award ceremony presenting an award and I was stood at the time, it was our treasurer who two weeks later became Australia's Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. And he gave an impassioned speech around open banking and how he was pushing for it and how this would change the industry. So I think what we've seen in this last couple of years is more than just regulatory pressures. We've got some fantastic you know, people in government, Senator Hume, Senator Bragg, who are really, really pushing the fintech agenda. And that's starting to really kind of flow through. And, you know, we're seeing confidence from investors coming through now, as Matt and Simone have said, 
you know, the ticket prices that we're seeing, even seed rounds now, we're talking $10 million, whereas two years ago, it was a million, two million. So I think that's had, you know, the, the kind of political pressure, the regulatory pressure. And then, as Matt said, the other force, which is the, the consumer pressure, has really created this perfect storm. Yeah. Well, it's good. I mean, if you can uh, ride the uh, the center of that storm to, to success, then that's a, a pretty good thing for everybody. I mean, what what do you think? I mean, Simone, how have you seen the the incumbents react to this? We you know we can talk a little bit more about that later on in the uh, in the show. But obviously, with players like Matt and Revolut coming into the market, and with different slices of of, of opportunity being sort of jumped on from a fintech perspective, have you seen a a big response from the the incumbents yet? Look, I think the response from the incumbents has been as anticipated, not overly enthusiastic, but now we're starting to see some um, some lubrication, I think, of, of collaboration um, and awareness that there is a lot of change required, both in the services they're delivering and how they're actually approaching the market. And some of that, as Dexter said, is being driven by legislative or regulatory requirements and um, new mechanisms like the consumer data right, which is... Um, you know, our equivalent of open banking um, and the fast payments network. And what those things are doing is is cracking open that really tightly held um, system that, that really excludes and any extra competition coming in. So looking at opening up access to the payments infrastructure, that's massive, particularly for companies like Revolut coming into the market and new companies growing here. The consumer data right is massive. It, it's a legislative tool that has basically enabled people to use their data, like payments coming out of a bank account. Um, and with those things come the actual possibilities for change. And I think that over the coming years, as they, they really fed down into the ecosystem, we'll see our, our, um, our big four um, starting to evolve and adapt more rapidly than ever before. Um, but I don't think that they'll ever be as dynamic or be able to catch our challenges coming into the scene. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? With that dynamic shifting and uh, being sort of forced into competition, it will uh, it will take people a little bit of time to really sort of catch on with that. But, but the interesting thing that we've seen, I think, in other geos as well, is as that uh, as that real sort of community around what's happening in the fintech scene starts to shift, then the banks actually have the opportunity to bring in types of talent that they've never even seen before. I'm sure, Dexter, you're not just having fintechs knocking on your doors, but you must have big banks knocking on your doors going like, how do I get those 10x, uh, you know, engineers? How do I get the, you know, product gods and explain to me what a product manager is? You know, like that, that must be an interesting dynamic in the, in the landscape. It, it is, David, but I, actually I'll, I'll share with you a chat I had with one of the big four banks where we had about six months of discussions. And at the end, I had to share with them that actually they're the company that I go to to headhunt some of the best engineering talent. And I think the, the kind of ironic thing is that they keep looking at fintech businesses with envious eyes and they've got these great talent you know, and teams internally that they're just not harnessing. So I, I think it's, uh, you know, for me, what 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 we're seeing is um, fintech. Yeah, it's a great breeding ground, but the reality is, if you don't give talent the opportunity to flourish and realize and recognize their potential, they're just wasted. It's it's a bit like signing Messi and putting him on the bench. Absolutely, so much of that is down to culture and environment, isn't it? And that's something that almost uh, you know when we at Eleven FS work with people, the the hardest thing to to do is to get that bit right and inevitably is why people 
predominantly have to start again to do that because it's such deep-seated, ingrained things, isn't it? But uh, Matt, maybe going, and before we sort of move on to the next section, I think you talked a little bit about customer there and actually to your point around, well, if consumers are, are ready, if they're ready for, for change, if they're ready to trust new brands, um, I mean, how would you describe the the Australian customer? Are, are they uh, are they really ready for this level of change? Are they ready for, you know, brands that they haven't, their mum's mum didn't bank with, but, uh, you know, Revolut's come to the market with a, a different proposition. Um, are, are your acquisition numbers showing that people are really primed for this change? Absolutely. I, I think, um, and, and I think it's due to a combination of things. You know, you think about the last 18 months we've had with with COVID. And on one hand for Revolut with a heritage in in foreign exchange and a, a pretty strong use case around travel, um, COVID could have been a real overhang for us uh, in terms of that, that use case not being as obvious. Whereas what I think we've seen is a real tailwind around the, the digitization of Australians' lives. And in, in some cases, in lots of cases in financial services, at least, the, 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 the needs that fall out of that not being very well met. And as a result, being much more open to, to, to alternatives, um, that are, that are offered in the market. And as I said, I, I think their expectations are set outside the industry. Uh, and so, you know, their, their openness to, to it. What, what I would say about Australian consumers, though, I think they're incredibly discerning and they're pretty good at sniffing out value. They're, they're real value seekers in a lot of ways. And so, you know, if there was, if it was a sort of word of, Caution, if if anything, it, it 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 can't be about slavishly taking a product that worked in Europe and 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 bringing it to Australian shores and expecting that it'll work. Uh, I think you, you need to be clear as to the the segment you're going after. You know what what need are you trying to meet, uh, and are you are you putting together a proposition that that genuinely appeals and is differentiated and gives you confidence you can win. Um, so I think yeah, there's, there's a bit in all of that. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting challenge, isn't it? Because and and particularly, uh, you know, Matt, from from your perspective, from Revolut, actually, uh, you know, global view of you know implementing things that work, it just all comes down to solving real pro- people's problems, doesn't it? And actually, those people's problems are different in every geography that you'll go to. The instruments might be very similar, but the way in which you solve them are going to have to be slightly different, aren't they? So, is that just again back to the point we were making about community? And we've had, you know, various different people on the podcast. Uh, Patrick Collinson from Stripe said this, it's just listening to customers and doing what they ask us to do. Uh, is that the approach you found that's, uh, you know, having uh, having success? T- totally. It, you know, it, it, you know and in a lot of ways it defines the fintech industry is, is being clear as to the problem you're trying to solve and coming up with a solution enabled by technology that, that solves for it. And geez, we, we've got such a valuable source of, um, of intel into what those problems are from our, our, our customers, uh, ourselves. So we, we spend a ton of time listening to that and, and, you know, modifying our offer and our proposition overall to, to sort of suit that. Very good. All right. Well, let's, let's maybe move on a, a little bit and talk a, a little bit more about the, the trends in innovation and technology in Australia. I mean, there's, there's a lot that has changed over a very short period of time in, in terms of the, uh, the, the different catalysts for that, as, as we were talking about a little bit earlier on, Matt. Um, Simone, though, can we maybe start with you? I mean, would you say the, the Australian fintech scene has had a, 
a real significant uplift because I mean there was obviously everything that happened with the uh, the the Royal Commission and uh, the the impact that that had. But for listeners who on the other side of the world who haven't heard all about that, I don't want you to give a a, a four hour summary of what happened with the Royal Commission because <laughs> it was quite the saga. Um, but do you want to give us a bit of a view of what it was and then the impact that uh, that you think that's driven into the market? Yes, thank goodness I don't have to give a full summary how we had a struggle. <laughs> um, the Royal Commission was a really interesting time. It basically um, opened up Australians' eyes to say, hey, you can expect more from your bank and your bank um, should be um, held to certain standards that ultimately come down to benefit you, the consumer of those banking services. Um, it was a big step in. Um, a Royal Commission is a big deal and it means that people are scrutinising the very industry and the players and actors within that industry from a government level. Um, so what that process did was essentially point to a lot of bad practices and a lot of dead wood that had generated over many, many decades of banking practices in Australia and opened the door for better experiences to be built. Um, it created a wave of change starting right at the top of policy and regulatory um, processes that said, how can we make this easier to bring more competition and more innovation into the landscape? And there's nothing that's going to fill that gap more than fintechs quickly jumping in and going, hey, we can do this. We can build these amazing experiences. Um, and obviously that, that spun off into, well, let's create better loan provision services. Let's, let's work with superannuation in a better way. Let's work with wealth management in a better way. Let's work with payments in a better way. All of that amazing stuff simply because um, we cracked open the banking ecosystem in Australia. We still have the four pillar policy, but now we're seeing more and more avenues for challenges to come in. Um, I often look at the UK and think that the challenger banks in the UK, you know, the the, um, the shiny brands that we see, Monzo and, and or Revolut and Starling, they're like the sentinel species of a fintech ecosystem. And under that, you get all these amazing new fintechs spinning out as well with confidence. And I think we had that same momentum in Australia. We're on a, a slightly different path in some ways, but I think you can really point at the Royal Commission and go, oh, yeah. That's what kicked this off in Australia, and that's um, actually a pretty cool thing. It is, and it's it. It makes you wonder sometimes how purposeful were those things. You know, back to a point I was saying earlier on around the uh, the people behind all of this sort of moving pieces around on the board. Uh, you know, we've seen this in in Europe to a certain degree with things like PSD two and different. And actually, the feeling that there's a there is a big. I know uh, as humans always like to look for somebody with a grander plan, don't we? That's somebody's figured all this stuff out, and it'll all turn out to be right in the end. But it does feel like actually the the pieces, the infrastructural pieces that are moved around the board, um, really facilitate a lot of those those uh, those opportunities. Have you um have you in that sense uh, and sort of looking from a technological perspective, what what we saw. Uh, definitely we've seen this in uh, Hong Kong and we've seen this in Singapore to a certain degree. Almost the rise of the B2C challenges uh, facilitates actually uh, a real underchange of B2B fintechs as well. Because actually the the B2C side of things, almost, re you know, Revolut entering the Australian market raises the bar for everybody. And now the the rest of the organizations within that market are trying to figure out how do we compete? So the B2B sense just kicks off in such a big way as well. Yeah, 
I would uh, look the tr- the trend that we certainly have identified with my paper plane hat back on is um, looking at the UK. We we feel like they're at the top of the trend market. They've had that B two C challenger bank market come up, which drove a lot of um, fintechs under that. And then we went, oh, actually, SME banking needs to be fixed as well. Let's start looking at that and drive the challenge through the SME banking um, and so on and so forth. And you're getting creative more and more experiences. And in Australia, we've only got a few of those SME challenges. And I'm thinking Judo and Prosper that are really focusing Prosper's not a bank, but they're focusing on the loan aspect. And I think that now the next part of that for us is what else can we build into that um, SME banking experience simply because we've come through the challenger part of the the, the, um, the consumer banking experience. Mm. That was a mouthful. Um, <laughs> then the US is obviously, I think that they're similar to us. They've had their B2C challenger banks. You've got your Chimes, which is, I know we can't say is a bank, but Chime is there. We're only seeing a few on the SME landscape as well. So I think in Australia, we're at the very beginning of what is going to be a very cool few years um, for whether you're an SME or whether you're you're a consumer, things are about to get better for you, my friend, because fintechs are actually driving forward every day. Very good. I mean, Dexter, you must have seen all of this coming from a while, right? Because uh, when you're hiring the people to then change in the market, then you almost see the trends before the trends are really public, right? So, I mean, yeah. are you sort of picking up on themes to that degree in terms of where people are really trying to be innovative in the market? Yeah, look, CDR, open banking, I think what we're, we're seeing in buy now, pay later, it's probably the precursor to this is really the credit model being completely disrupted. And so CDR, you know, we're, we're working with some stealth mode fintechs who are really looking at areas like home lending and thinking, how do we completely change this? How do we take this from a scenario where somebody has multiple choices of home loans to something that is perfectly tailored to their credit history, their background, their ability to repay, they're, they're, they're kind of you know, taking all of this data that's now accessible and using that to completely shift these credit risk models that are 40, 50 years old based on somebody having a job and a career for 20 odd years when we know that you know, if you last 12 to 18 months somewhere, that's a really long stint. So that's the thing that we're really seeing. Um, you know, we can talk about themes like DeFi and NFTs and all the stuff and the sizzle that's getting the press, but where we're seeing the you know, the institutional dollars going is really into these areas of, you know, that are, that are huge markets in themselves. I mean, Simone mentioned superannuation. It's 3.1 trillion Aussie dollars big, that market. And there's hardly been anybody come in to disrupt that. We've seen maybe two or three startups with not very much funding behind them have a stab and nobody's really gone after that. So I think these are the areas that we're going to see some real disruption. And look, DeFi, NFTs, crypto, it's going to be sizzled, but we're not quite there yet. Um, I think CDR is really going to be the thing where we're going to see the the big disruption happening. Interesting. Uh, I mean, Matt, you guys uh, have obviously started, uh, I mean, Revolut is always based around, and any geography you guys are going into is based around regular engagement with the customer. Uh, have you seen, in the way that Simone and, and Dexter are describing, are you seeing that that trend uh, similar 
And actually, where are you sort of seeing the opportunities going forwards? Because again, with a, a unique market, with a, a unique set of customers, uh, there must be a hell of a lot of opportunity being left sort of in between the pillars, as, uh, as Simone was uh, describing, for uh, players like yourself. Yeah, again, absolutely. And, and Simone and Dexter both talked about some of the regulatory seeds that have been planted that we think are going to grow into something much larger. So whether that's, that's, that's open banking, uh, you know, a few years ago, um, the, the process for applying for a bank license, uh, was synthesized and a restricted ADI regime was introduced. Again, took some cues from, from the UK, uh, as, as an example, access to different sort of payment infrastructure that had previously only been the, the, the pre, pre purview of, um, of, of the major banks. So they're, they're all the opportunities that are being created by policy change, um, uh, as well. But I, I think even apart from that, there's, there's just large portions of the Aussie market that remain underserved. And someone called out, um, SMB or s- small businesses. And that, that's absolutely the case. We see real opportunity there. Um, but, but then also right back to Revolut's heritage, you look at something like the foreign exchange market. Um, a report was done by the ACCC a few years ago, which recognized that Australia is one of the most expensive places in the world, Western world of any developed country for, um, for, for sending and exchanging currency. And, you know, that, that's just prime. That's a prime target for a, for a firm like Revolut, um, to bring some of the capability we've built overseas, um, to, to, to the, to the Aussie, to the Aussie market. And I think the, the final point is, again, the contrast with the incumbent banks, because I, I spent a bit of the time in an incumbent bank. It's almost, almost hate admitting that now. Um, but, uh, the, the mindset around, as you say, engagement with the app, in some ways, incumbent banks business models are built on, on apathy, on, on customers not regularly engaging. And as a result, becoming rusted on. And as a result, being able to charge higher fees and higher margins. Whereas, you know, firms like Revolut and, and many of the other, um, uh, fintechs in the, in the Aussie market have sort of tipped that on its head. And it's about, again, actually delivering value up and, and creating an experience that is engaging and giving insights as to how you're spending your money. It's actually, you know, in some ways redefining what trust, what trust is about as well. So yeah, I think that the opportunities come from all of those things, the kind of regulatory seeds, the, the way the incumbent banks kind of treated customers in the past uh, and uh, just un- unserved elements of the market. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think when a, when a market is uh, based on uh, sort of uh, inertia and apathy, then uh, that's not going to end particularly well, is it? So uh, particularly when you start getting new competition coming into the, the, the space. And, it, and it's interesting, isn't it? We, um, we sort of say this to, to a lot of people, the, uh, the market is really defined by products right now, not by services. And every fintech coming into the market is delivering a service that people want to engage with. And I think at the point where it is reasonably ironic, isn't it, that we all work in financial services, but when financial services really becomes about services, then it's it's game over people who are just dealing with financial instruments. So uh, let's continue by looking a little bit more about some of the challenges and opportunities in the Australian market. I mean, largely to do with the distance away from other uh, geographies, that's, I guess, sometimes a, a gift and potentially sometimes a, a curse as well. Um, Sydney has recently been announced as Australia's fintech hub. Um, would you say that distance between Sydney and regions such as, as Europe or the United States is a challenge for growing in the fintech scene? I mean, clearly, Matt, it hasn't stopped you guys kind of landing in the market. So, I mean, what was attractive about the Australian market for, for you guys to, to head there first, as you say? 
Yeah, I, I think we've we've touched on some of the things, you know, supportive ecosystem, uh, you know, pol- the policy change that we've seen, uh, consumer that we thought was ready for um, increased choice. I think they, they're all features of the Australian market that make it really attractive. Uh, and, you know, th- there's a reality to it. We are, we are, you know, in our case, 10,000 miles from the head office. The time zone, time zone differences can be incredibly um, challenging, but that, that kind of also led to Revolut and the way it thought about market entry changing, um, and, and learning a little along the way as well. Um, you know, one, one important part of that is now we, you know, we look to put local CEOs on the ground in each market and have them build their teams and have them develop their go to market strategy and, and run that to ground. And that, that way it creates a, you know, a little bit more autonomy, but most importantly, you're making sure you're meeting the needs of, um, of the local, uh, of the local market. Um, but you know, I, I think, um, you know, p- part of the reason I think Australia has been an attractive market for global entities to, to come in, not just in fintech, but generally is that point I made earlier about consumers being pretty discerning. And as a result, Australia can be a great test bed, um, to look at testing scalability or, or different propositions, you know, that applies across lots of different industries. Um, and as a result could then be a great launch pad into, into other global markets. Um, so certainly how Revolut thought about it is it, is it used Australia as a testbed, um, outside of Europe. Yeah, it's it, it is a it is an, a fascinating one, isn't it? Uh, very far on the other, and I think Nikolai doesn't sleep at this this stage, Matt. Right, so I'm sure he's always available for uh, for something at some point. But uh, but that's uh, that's good to know as well. Uh, um, Simona, I guess in terms of the um, the impact from a big company perspective, have have we really started to see? The big four respond yet. I know we touched on this a little bit earlier on, but is there enough change in the market to sort of show that the challengers are actually challenging the incumbents at this stage rather than just for a, a presence in the wallet? Because as you said, there's there's almost a uh, a little bit of a rite of passage here of uh, fintech deniers uh, through uh, through those organisations to a certain degree. I feel like that would be a great t-shirt or a, or a sticker slogan at some point, but uh, um, but but. It has the has the response really sort of kicked in yet? I think it has, and I think that it's kicked in in, in a way that um, everyone's being a little bit um, quiet about. But if you have a look at actually what's happening, of course it has. You've got CBA investing in Klarna and then spinning off their own um, BNPL with Mastercard called StepPay. Um, their investment arm X15 is making multiple investments in fintechs locally. You've got um, the other banks, their investment arms have made a lot of investments as well, ANZI, uh, reinventure via Westpac. So they're starting to invest, but then we're also starting to see um, emulation um, and acquisition. So um, obviously 86400 was acquired by National Australia Bank or NAB. We've had Bendigo Bank recently acquire UpBank. Um, we've had um, 10X um, being um, invested in by Westpac and then um, licensed over to Afterpay to, to offer them banking services. So yes, I think that the impact is starting to be felt. Um, how they will react over pressures of, so the way that banks are thinking about consumer data right and, um, and one of the, um, the, the NPP or our fast payment systems, um, 
mechanisms at the moment is fulfilling a compliance piece. They're spending money on it because they have to um, and they've been told to, but it won't take them very long, I think, to take that mentality away from, oh, this is a compliance thing we have to do to, a, oh, actually, if we invest this little bit more, we can commercialize this and this can become a new product string for us. And I think that will be the switch that really we start seeing a lot of um, challenging back at the challenges. Same At the same time, those very things will enable challenges to actually create bigger and better services back at them. So it's, it's going to be a good tennis match, I think, to sit back and, and watch and actually be involved in as a player. Definitely. Yeah, the uh, that split between who sort of owns the customer experience at the top end and, and the sort of commoditized back end pieces uh, is something that's happening and sort of playing out differently in every geography at this stage. So it's going to be uh, fascinating to see. I mean, Dexter, they, they sort of always say the uh, talent goes where the, the interesting things are to fix, right? Have you seen a, a bit of an influx, not just from uh, obviously Australian market, people wanting to get involved, but, uh, you know, definitely we've seen within the Singaporean and Hong Kong when the regulatory uh, climate change, we're seeing you know, people from Europe moving to wholesale to these places to to go and do amazing things. Obviously, you moved to the Australian market and never came back. So it uh, seems like quite an attractive place to go and work. It is. It's awesome. And look, the thing that I'm really excited about right now, I think if you look at um, every every market in the world has a skill shortage, right? We're all at the, every fintech is at the leading edge of technology. And so you know, we're never going to overcome that. But I think what Australia has lacked, hasn't necessarily been talent, but just context. We've not had until zip and after pay people who've scaled businesses like you would get in London or Silicon Valley. What we're seeing now are, you know, we, we've just placed somebody who launched mortgages for SoFi in the US, who's an Aussie who's come back. And we've now just placed at a, one of the, the kind of original mortgage fintech businesses here in Oz. So, you know, we're super excited about this kind of talent who's now coming back to these shores. I mean, Matt, you spent time Virgin Money in the UK and came back and launched Virgin Money back in the day, what, 2010 here in Oz. And so what we're seeing is um, great talent coming back. Obviously, with COVID, we've had a lot of people get in touch wanting to come out, but I think it's a bit difficult with the, the travel restrictions. I think the frustration we're seeing, David, is just not everybody's grasped remote yet. But my kind of sense on on you know, building teams and building businesses is I think it's really difficult to do fully remote. You're going to have to get a, a core group of people together, at least at some point, to kind of get things happening and get the band in the studio to jam together. Yeah, completely agree with that. And and I think um, on the point you were making a little bit earlier on, Matt, I mean, how much is it, and looking at this, not just from an Australian market perspective, but I mean, I, I think there's a petition inside 11FS for me to put an office over in uh, Australia, like, and it's getting pretty strong. So in terms of advice to to companies outside of, uh, of, of Australia to move to Australia, your point earlier on around having people with local knowledge, local context seems like, I mean, it sounds obvious when you say it out loud, but it seems like the key to really being able to get to grips with what it's like being on the ground, right? Totally. I think, you know, it, it's, it's one of the key ingredients to success in my view is in conquering a market is, is deeply understanding it, deeply understanding the consumer nuances, have, having a good network to be able to leverage uh, across other fintechs or even incumbent banks. Uh, I think credibility with regulators is really important um, because, you know, we find them 
fairly, you know, very open to deal with. But uh, at the end of the day, they want to know that the local person is the one that they're going to be able to hold to be able to hold accountable, and that uh, they kind of got a throat to choke when they <laughs> when they need when they need it. So I, I think all of those ingredients come together. I, th- I think some of the tailwinds Australia's got going for it is a fantastic place to live. You know, it's every second day I'm pinged by an engineer somewhere in Revolut saying, "When can I move down?" And you know, we're just going to get these damn borders open down here uh, to, to to get them in. But it is a desirable place to work. I think your point about you know, people go looking for problems to solve and, you know, we're, we're some in- really interesting um, uh, uh, places to work. And, you know, I think that, that that that's all part of the ecosystem in terms of what's been built locally. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think you just got to move down here, David. I, I mean, uh, you, you don't have to sell me to, uh, too, too much. Like uh, the uh, British summer has been awful. So uh, your winter is better than our summer. So like, I'm, uh, I'm definitely uh, definitely up for that. <laughs> I read a tweet by Shane Warne, actually, and he said, um, what, what was it? Uh, it and it, it kind of summarizes the reason why I moved to Australia. He said, um, you have nine months of bad weather and three months of winter. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and the, uh, the, the purchase of new, uh, new, new garden furniture was very ambitious on my part, uh, let's put it that way. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so, so going forwards, I guess there's, I mean, there's all of these different things. We're, we're, all of us have really sort of pointed to a, you know, a, a kind of a complex and chaotic marketplace. We've got, you know, investment coming in bigger than ever. We've got uh, companies landing, you know, map, you know, Revolut coming to Australia and establishing itself and establishing the presence. We've got the incumbents sort of responding a little bit and, and getting into uh, investment and seeing these problems and everything that's happening. Like it really feels like, as you said, Matt, at the top of the show, you know, this is the the sort of eye of the storm right now with, with all of the change that's happening. So where, where are we going next? Uh, where do you think this will play out? Do you think it will play out like it has done in other geographies, which is, you know, I mean, Revolut is uh, very significant from a customer-based perspective within within Europe and is sort of leading the agenda when it comes to um, the, the customer expectations, the customer experience. Um, what do you think Dext is going to happen in the Australian market if we if we go into your crystal ball over the next five years? Um, well, first of all, I've got to say I've I've never been more excited in my life than I am right now. I don't sleep much at night, and it's not because I'm worried about the business. It's because I just can't stop thinking about the possibilities of what's going on. Um, a crystal ball, uh, fintech 3.0 will coincide with Web 3.0. I think we're just at the very beginning of everything completely going nuts. I think what Revolut are doing, it's for me, FinTech 2.0. I think it's amazing. They're leading the charge, but the disruptors get disrupted. And I think it's kind of, I couldn't predict anything other than it just being very different, you know, chat 10 years from now to what we're having today. Very good. We'll have to get us all back together in five years and see what happens. Uh, so, Simone, what do you think? Where, where are we going? What does the next five years look like? I think the snowball's been pushed down the hill and it's just going to get bigger and accelerate. Um, I think that what we're seeing right now and the companies that we're seeing um, starting and growing are creating the financial experiences that um, I have four, four children I think about all the time. We're creating the tools that they will use 
um, when they're adults. And that's a, a pretty motivating thing to get out of bed and do every day. Um, but I do think that we're going to see more companies um, make it big on the global stage um, because we're, as Dexter said, the talent in Australia is amazing. And COVID is actually, even though our borders closed, it's kind of taken borders down as far as geographical expansion goes. Um, and I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, the Australian government is very supportive of, com of companies coming into the country, but also of exporting things out of the country. So I think we're going to start seeing a really exciting exchange of, of new ideas coming in and exporting ideas out. Um, bring it on. I'm excited. Very good. You know, in five years' time, I plan to be on a duck farm in Tasmania, so you might need to. <laughs> I might need to fire up the satellite. To, to yeah, come back. I was going to say I'm not. I'm not sure the Wi-Fi is going to be great out that way, but uh, we'll, but we will get you back on. Hopefully, between now and then as well, but yeah, uh, not just sure. uh, not just then. But Matt, where do you think the the market's going? Uh, obviously, you guys are aiming to have a, a big impact and driving that market in the next five years. But where do you think we're going to get to? Oh, look, I think there's so many dimensions to that, but uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I, I think. Um, uh, the likes of Afterpay and, and, and what they did in redefining the way experiences are, are offered, I, I think that's a little window into the future because I think now, you know, frictionless experiences like that where finance is just embedded in, in people's daily lives where they don't, they're not actually thinking about, I'm going to open my app and, and do, do some banking. It, it's, it's much more ingrained uh, than that. And so, so I, you know, I, I think the, the insight into the future is this, this thought around a super app and a, a place to manage your entire financial life in one place rather than single use apps. I think, uh, Simone's smiling there because, uh, she, she, she knows I'm just pushing my own bandwagon a little bit there. <laughs> but I, I think that's, that's definitely one part though is fric frictionless experiences. I, th I think the other is I think we've only seen the start of the crypto revolution. Uh, and, you know, the use cases beyond just holding that as either a store of value or a speculative investment, um, that being a frictionless way that disintermediates banks and, and, and other providers. I think that's a whole, that's a, that's a, that could be in a podcast on its, on, on its own around the way the Australian market might, uh, might shape up. Um, but I, I agree with both Dexter and Simone. It's, it's an incredibly interesting time to be in it. And, and in a lot of ways, it, it's, um, it's, you know, fintech is, is is the perfect vehicle to meet that changing consumer needs. So that that's what I'm so excited about. Matt, do you think on the crypto thing we might actually see um, the Reserve Bank take another look at CBDCs as well? I think all it takes is uh, maybe our friends in the UK to spin up a, a, a CBDC and our government to get worried about you know digital dollarization or, or anything like that. And I think we will very quickly see a response. So that might be something to add to your part about the crypto um, crypto thing as well. Yeah, Totally agree. It's going to be fascinating, isn't it? Uh, I think the Bank of England are definitely cooking something up. But uh, if you look at what uh, uh, MAS are doing over in Singapore, there's uh, lots of things happening, hasn't there? So uh, global pressures on other markets to continue to be innovative is super duper interesting. I mean, one thing's definitely for sure, while uh, while I'm probably scared of coming over there as a person and being killed by a, a snake or a spider or a shark or something, then it's a very uh, startup-friendly ecosystem, even if it's not a necessarily a people-friendly one. Do you know what? Uh, I, one story when we came over to Brisbane, um, I think it was about 18 months ago, uh, I, w I asked what those big birds were. Turned out they were they were giant bats, like giant fruit bats. <laughs> I fe it felt like uh, it felt like a quote out of Indiana Jones at the time, but uh, but it was a, it was amazing. Like, but as an ecosystem, I've never, if I'm honest with you, I've never come across one that's more friendly. 
but more um, more really self-contained as well in terms of, to your point, Dexter, earlier on, having all of the pieces that are within the ecosystem. It's about moving them around to create the, the thing that's needed now. And it feels like over the last, as you guys have all described, it feels like over the last couple of years, all of those pieces have really clicked into place now to, to make really significant change happening. So uh, on that note, we will definitely be coming back and revisiting this and we'll definitely be getting you guys back on to talk a little bit more about that. But we've run out of time, unfortunately, so we better wrap up the show. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people learn a little bit more about what you guys are up to? Simone? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Simone Joyce, or you can um, hit up our website. It's P-A-Y-P-A-P-L-A-N-E, Paper Plane. Very good. Uh, Matt, where can people learn a little bit more about what you guys are up to at Revolut? Yeah, Revolut.com or download the Revolut app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Very good. Dexter, how about you? Where can people learn more and where can people find your podcast as well? Yeah, so you can follow me, Dexter Cousins, on LinkedIn and Twitter, and you can find the podcast on your favorite player, FinTech Chatter. Very good. Uh, as for me, do you know what? First person to drop me an email, drop me an email, and we'll arrange half an hour to hang out. Just like drop me, David at 11fs.com. We'll arrange half an hour. We'll get together. We can talk about whatever you want to at that point. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. Super Duper helps other people to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us over on social media. Search for 11fs or FinTech Insider. Or if you've got any other feedback, it's podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Goodbye.